The 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Matthew in verse 23 is the passage we'll use to um, kind of begin this sermon. I was telling in, my, in the early service my uh, professor of preaching at Southwestern said a lot of times we take a text and depart from it. So I'm going to take this text and head away from it. It's the second in the, in the three-part series on Christian stewardship. It has to do with the stewardship of our finances. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. There is ultimately one reason why every Christian should tithe because it is biblical and all other reasons for whatever advantage they have carry no weight if what we're talking about is not ultimately biblical. Tithing is not a thing indifferent. There are some things that are. Whether a preacher wears a robe when he preaches or not, whether the church meets on Friday or Wednesday for prayer meeting, whether the carpet is red or blue, whether one sits, stands, or kneels when he prays, are things indifferent, and tithing is not like these. So that when Jesus came upon the scene, tithing was an assumption in Israel. They were tithing because the law said to. Now there were a lot of things that the religious authorities were doing wrong and Jesus let them know about it. He didn't pull any punches. He pulled out all the stops and he with scathing indictment reminded the Pharisee what he was doing wrong. And so it might shock you when you find a place where Jesus was passing out compliments to the Pharisees for you'd be hard pressed to find wherever that happened. It might shock you when you find it. That's what you find in this text. Granted, it is a kind of a, an indirect compliment to be sure. For what he was saying is this. You guys are doing the right thing. This is right that you tithe. The problem is you've done it to the neglect of the other matters. Tithing is a matter that is not indifferent. The ultimate reason is that it is biblical. Now, if you were to, to be asked, why does the church teach, on tithe, teach tithing, you might be hard-pressed to find an answer. But I have a feeling that the majority of us would answer in this manner. Well, we're told to tithe because we need to pay. We need to pay the debts, we need to pay the bills, we need to pay the mortgage, we need to pay the preacher. Picture this, if you will, imagine this. Two men are listening in the tabernacle when Moses stands to deliver a message on the law. And his message from the law is a message on first fruit tithing. 
after the message, two men are talking, and one says to the other, why is it that Moses always talks on tithing? And the other says, well, we got to pay off the tabernacle debt. You know, he got us in debt building that building. And it could, have been a, it could have been built a whole lot cheaper than it was. All that gold and silver and those expensive trappings, I could have built that thing a lot cheaper than was built. Take those two men out of their robes and sandals and put them in their business suit and their, uh, and their slippers, uh, their freeman shoes, and this is what they say. Why is it? that the preacher always talks about tithing. Well, he's got to pay off the building, and it could have been a whole, built a whole lot cheaper than it was. A lot of wasted money there, all that carpet, all that expensive furniture, but we got to pay it off. Let me tell you something. The reason why a person, every Christian, should tithe has nothing to do with paying anything. It is because God said to, and that ought to be reason enough. Unfortunately, it's not. We have to be constantly encouraged to give. We are not by nature's tithers. We are genetically allergic to tithing, and we look for every loophole to justify the reason we're not. I know that. That's a fact. And so I want to go beyond the ultimate reason for tithing and I want to lay down some pragmatic reasons. Now the pragmatic test is as scriptural as the scriptural mandate. That is pragmatic in the sense of it works or it's right, it's, it, it pays to do it, it works. There must first of all be the scriptural mandate and that scriptural mandate must be followed by the pragmatic reasons. Now there are some people who are afraid to give the pragmatic reasons. They say, if God says to do it, we need to do it, and that's, the, that's reason enough. In other words, if it's scriptural, it's right whether it works or not. Now in essence, I believe that. However, I remember Malachi 3.10, it says... Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. Now the storehouse is the counterpart to the modern day church. Anybody knows that, knows anything about biblical history. The storehouse is the, the counterpart to the storehouse is the modern church. That's where the tithe belongs. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. That's the scriptural mandate. But there is a pragmatic test and see if I will not bless you with a blessing that you cannot contain. And so I want to lay down, having established the scriptural mandate, I want to lay down four pragmatic reasons to tithe. First, every Christian ought to tithe because it becomes the ground where we prove the reality of our faith. Now it doesn't require faith to talk about the things that God will do. It requires no faith to say God provides for His own and God takes care of us. That requires no faith. But James says that faith without works is dead and what I think he means there is that if, if your faith does not have a forum of demonstration, that faith is empty and, and dead. In other words, what we really believe we practice 
And all the rest is just religious talk. So that if we say God takes care of us and God will provide what He requires, if we say that but there is no practice of that, then that's just religious talk. We can talk till doomsday about how surrendered we are to God, but unless there is evidence of that surrender in stewardship, it is virtually a lie. Tithing then becomes the proving ground where we prove the reality of our faith. It takes a great deal of faith to lay aside what we consider our own. It takes a great deal of faith to give to God when we don't have the money to give. That's why we're encouraged in first fruit tithing. That is to give the first fruits off the top, the first 10%, believing that if I do that, it becomes an opportunity for God to show me how that 90% has more buying power than 100%. Now I need to say something in this service that I said in the first service about the trust factor. It's just screaming to be said. I've wanted to say it for, for some time and I, I feel this is the best time to say it. Concerning the trust factor. There has been a tremendous erosion of trust in the Christian ranks, in the Christian religion in our day. First, there was a man saying if he didn't get $10 million, God was going to kill him. Then there even to this very day, there is this talk about this minister in, in, in Dallas who is under suspicion for the attempted murder of his wife and this affair he's been carrying on. And there has this been, there's been this erosion of trust and people are asking, who can we trust? Who is for real? Who is genuine? Um, I mean, who, 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 is, who, is, who, who can you put your confidence in? And some are saying, listen, I'm not going to give my hard-earned money to those guys down there to rip me off. I mean, to these guys that preach on television and write these religious books and preach on Sunday, the, I'm not going to turn my heart over and earn money over to them. I've lost confidence in them. And sometimes, listen to me, sometimes that trust has been violated. That's the truth. And when that trust is violated then that person, that religious leader, has forfeited his right to leadership. It's a fact. But the overwhelming majority of the men and women who make up the, the staffs of our churches in this day and time, in this denomination and in others, are godly men and women. And they've been called of God and they've been sent by God and they deserve to be trusted and followed. If I came into your business and I said to you, listen, you're, telling, you're doing your business a screwed up way. This is a bad way to do business. That guy you've got working for you, he's not any good. You need to fire him. You're not running your business properly. You know what you'd say to me? You'd say, that man's a fool. He doesn't know anything about my business. And you'd be right. I don't know anything about your business. That's why I'm not doing that. On the other hand, there are some things about the ministry of a church that you don't understand. And so God has given godly men and women to the church staff who receive from God their mandate and they deserve to be trusted and have the freedom to know that somebody's not looking over their shoulders all the time. 
I'm not saying that you give the staff a blank check to do everything they want to do. I'm saying that in the main, these men and women are called and sent by God and they get their mandate from God on their knees and that gives them the right to be followed and be trusted. It's a matter of trust. And that trust runs along these lines that God will provide for me even to the point that He will provide my spiritual leaders and I will trust them and I will follow them. It's the place where your faith has a, has a forum to, 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 to reality. Secondly, every member ought to tithe because of what it will do to the work of the kingdom of God and for that work. Now Malachi 3.10 says, Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there might be meat. It's food in the New American Standard. It's the Hebrew word that means essential. That there might be essential in my house. Now watch this carefully. Does it seem strange to you? Does it seem strange to you that the same God who said that the silver and gold were His, the cattle on a thousand hills were His, the same God who said that is saying in essence, I'll not have essentials in my house if you don't tithe. Does that seem strange to you? What we're confronted with is what is called an antinomy. Now an antinomy is, a, is two principles that are irreconcilable and yet both are true. In physics, the word is used often, but it applies in theology as well. An antinomy in theology, J.I. Packer in his book, The Evangelism, Evangelism the Sovereignty of God, points out that the antinomy, antinomy in, in, in theology just appears to be irreconcilable. Watch this. Like the free will of man and the sovereignty of God. Now those are two principles, irreconcilable, but both are true. The God-man theory that Jesus is both God 100% and man 100%, those are two irreconcilable principles, but both are true. Now in tithing, here's where the antinomy takes place. Watch. God has everything. God has nothing unless His people bring it to Him. Does that blow your mind or not? What a heavy load that places upon the church. And there is nothing any more disgraceful than for the kingdom of God to limp along and be restricted and confined in its work simply because God's people won't tithe. Nothing more disgraceful than that. I heard a remarkable statistic this last week. The, 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 the statistic is this, that if you took every Christian in America, now, now not just Baptist, but in every denomination, you took every Christian and you put them together and you gave that every Christian in that group a welfare income. That is, you put them on welfare so that every Christian is on welfare. And every Christian ties his welfare check there would be a 35% increase in giving among Christians. Is that mind-boggling or not? Now why is it that there are not enough missionaries in the world 
Why is it that the church is restricted in its ministry? Why? Is it because your staff is wasteful? No. Is it because the resources are not there? No. The reason why is there is not total involvement to the point of sacrifice. I'm convinced of it. Now there is involvement, but it's not total. Everybody knows that 20% of the people do the work of God, the rest. It's involvement, but it's not total. And it's involvement, but it's not to the point of sacrifice. So that you and I give off the wrong end after the bills are paid and the mortgages and the education costs and the luxury items we give out of the residue. And David said, I will not give to God that which cost me nothing. You know what would happen if every member in every church started tithing next Sunday? Every bill would be paid, every building would be built, every debt would be, would be, uh, would be paid, and a committee would have to be organized to take care of the money that was coming in. It's a fact. Third reason why every Christian should tithe. Because of what it will do for God in heaven. Now you say, well, what would my tithe do for God in heaven? Well, much. Now the Bible teaches, Paul teaches that justification is by faith. Now justification is a term that means just as if you had not sinned. Justification is by faith. You read the book of Romans and it screams out at you that a man is made just as if he'd not sinned by faith in the finished work of Jesus and by that alone. It's called righteousness by imputation. Try to remember that. Imputation means that God takes the righteousness of Jesus when we trust in Him and He declares that to be our righteousness. The righteousness of imputation. Paul declares that justification is by faith. Then James comes along and talks about justification by works. Now before you label me a non-Baptist heretic, let me tell you what James is talking about when he talks about justification by works. And this is what he says. I'm not, this not off the top of my head. Second chapter, 24th verse. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now what James is doing there, he's not talking about how we get to heaven. He's not in contradiction of the Apostle Paul. He is already affirmed in the verse preceding that man is justified by faith. Where he says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He was not talking about how we get to heaven. He was talking about, watch this, he was speaking with reference to the obedience of the man who was justified by faith. And according to James, there were two great watersheds in the life of Abraham. The first great watershed was the night he stood out and God got him outside the tent and he said, look at the stars. I'm going to make you like your nation, like the stars, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And, and, and the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's justification by faith. The second great watershed in the life of, the, of, of Abraham took place when God told him to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And so he took that son up Mount Moriah and he was about ready to plunge the knife into his heart and sacrifice his son when God said, Stop, don't lay a hand on him. For now I know that you fear God because you withheld not this from me. That's justification by works. Now what James is saying is not 
that when Abraham offered his son, he was working his way to heaven, he had already said he was already on his way to heaven. What he was saying is this, that God wanted to see how much a man loved him who was justified by faith. And what James is saying is this, that when Abraham obeyed God the second time, he fulfilled, underline, he fulfilled justification by faith. And I want you to get this principle, please. Righteousness by imputation that is not followed by obedience is unfulfilled. There must be obedience following justification by faith or that justification is unfulfilled. That's why God said, now I know that you love me. Now what did he mean by that? Does that mean that God didn't know that before? Of course he knew it. He knows the heart. He knows everything. Well, what does it mean? I'm not sure what it means. I've read all the ideas about what it means, but I do know that it means this. That when a man is, who has been justified by faith is obedient to God, then God shares with him his emotion, his feelings. It pleases God. It means that God cares whether or not we're obedient to him. And when he sees our obedience, he shares with us his joy. He shares with us his his feeling, it pleases him. I'm a tither because when I do it, I know that God is pleased and he shares that pleasure with me. It pleases him. One last pragmatic reason, please. Every Christian ought to be a tither because of what it will do for you. Because of what it will do for you. Now I want to read one more time that account between Abraham, Isaac, and God. Listen to this. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son, Indeed, I will greatly bless you. And I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gates of your enemies. And in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed. Now whatever else you want to say about this, that story and what it teaches, this is one fundamental thing it teaches, that when you obey God, He blesses you. He blesses you. You do not obey God Thus you do not live in the realm of blessing. It's a fact. When you obey Him, He blesses you. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless this church. He wants to bless us more than we want the blessing. 
believe it or not. But he waits to bless us to see if we're really, if we really take God seriously. Now, now listen carefully. That's what he did with Abraham. He waited to the last moment to see if Abraham was taking him seriously. He waits to see if we take him seriously. And to the man and woman who take him seriously, there is this now I know response in heaven that results in a blessing on earth. I want you to hear that again. When he sees that we take him seriously, there is this, now I know that he loves me. Now I know that he fears me. And the result of that is he blesses us on earth. And that blessing is grasped in two realms, in the natural and in the spiritual. Now in the spiritual realm, the way it is grasped is this, that it frees us. There is this release in our heart, in our soul, our spirit. There is this, when you and I obey the Lord, there is this emancipation that, that frees us up, that cannot be grasped, laid hold of any other way. There is this freedom that we experience. I, I find this freedom inside of me and within me that I can never experience unless I'm obedient to God in these areas. Now there's an interesting thing about freedom. Many times we don't know that we're in bondage until we've been freed. That's why people get so mad when preachers talk on money. It's because we do not, we are defensive about the fact that we're in the bondage of material possessions. We don't really know that sometimes until we're freed from them. That's why people are defensive when a preacher talks about being in the bondage of fear because we don't know we're in these bondages until we're freed. And then looking back one day, we're able to see, we look back, hey, I've been freed from that bondage. I have freedom. I was in bondage, didn't even know it. And now there is this freedom, this emancipation that causes us, causes this response. Uh, why on earth wasn't I doing it before? That's what I hear all the time. People who begin the, the, the practice of tithing. Why wasn't I doing that before? There's such peace and joy. But it is also grasped in the natural level. Now I'm going to have to confess to you this morning that, that, that I've not been declaring the whole counsel of God to, to us because I respond negatively when I hear a guy get up and talk about that if I'll send him money, I'll prosper. I respond to that negatively too. And, and therefore, and, and, and what, I've, what I, I, I'm afraid you're going to say to me, you sound like those guys. And so I, I've, I've, I've uh, you know, uh, deliberately kind of shied away from that. But I've got to tell you this morning, you can't ignore the fact that when a man obeys God, he blesses him in the natural realm. Now that blessing is not as it's inferior to the spiritual blessing. You need to know that. The spiritual blessing is far superior to the natural blessing, but you cannot ignore the fact that when a man is obedient to God, God blesses him at the natural level. Give, and it shall be given to you. He that sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. He that sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. I mean, those are scriptures. Jack Taylor reminds us of something that happens as a kid. Any kid knows this on a farm. I used to plant cotton for my dad. 
you know, and had these four-row planters. And, and not only do you have to keep the tractor moving down the furrow, keep the tractor going straight, but you've got to keep an eye on, the, on all four of those planters to see that the seed's going down the little hopper and not stopped up. And sometimes it'll stop up, regardless of how careful you are. And you don't even know how far you've gone that it's been stopped up until the seed starts coming up. And then you see there'll be long gaps in there. You see, you don't sow, you don't reap, you don't, you don't harvest. You don't give, you don't live in the realm of blessing. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you this morning that if you start a tithing program, that all of a sudden you're going to just prosper. I can't, I can't do that. Because I've had guys stand up in pulpits, and I've heard them before say, I started a program of tithing, and all hell broke loose. I lost my job, lost my health, my children got in trouble, my wife got angry. I, I'm not going to tell you that if you, you know, I'm, I, God forbid that I get up here and tell you if you start tithing, everything's going to be rosy from now on. But I am going to tell you this, and I believe this and will believe it since I started tithing when I was a wee lad and haven't stopped. I will tell you this that if you give to God a tenth off the top, in the long term of life, He'll make that 90% that you have left go farther than the 100% you had. I believe that with all my heart. And I'll close with this illustration. A man came to church with his wife about once a week, came on Sunday morning. He was not a tither. He put $5 in the plate. He didn't want to, but he figured they could use it. And, 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 and so, so he did that a while, and then he started coming on Sunday night, and he started coming on Wednesday night. And you know what, what happens when a man puts himself under the teaching of God's Word? His life began to be changed. And he started tithing. That's the first thing he did, because he, he saw that as the realm of obedience where he was not obedient. He told his pastor a year later, he said, the remarkable thing about all this is that it didn't seem like I, I, I missed that 10%. He said, that was the shocking thing. He said, I never missed it. He said, it seemed like to me, I didn't add it up, but it seemed like to me that after I started doing that, I had more than I had before. Now the scriptural mandate is this. Every Christian ought to do it. The pragmatic test is that it works. My encouragement, my plea this morning in this message has nothing to do with building payment. It has to do with being obedient to the scriptural mandate and trusting in the pragmatic test. I want you to bow your heads with me, please. Not one soul looking up, not one soul looking out, not one soul looking away. Everybody still and everybody quiet, please. Not one person looking. I'm going to make this plea this morning, and I said in the early service, you know, sometimes when a preacher preaches, he lays out on the line his ministry. Whether or not he's a spokesman for God or not. And I, and I feel a little bit of that sense of urgency at this point. 
And so I'm going to ask this morning for this kind of decision. I'm, as I did in the early service, I'm going to ask those of us who have not been tithing, if you would lift your hand, just lift your hand, nobody's looking, you would just lift your hand and say, because of the scriptural mandate and because of the biblical pragmatic reason, I'll begin to do it. I see two hands before I even finished. There are others. I've not done it, but I shall begin. Anyone else? There are four or five, yes. Anyone else? Just lift your hand. In the choir, in the balcony. Yes, I see up in the balcony. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? Back at the back. Yes, thank you. I will do it. Yes, a little child, a little child. Anyone else? I see that. That's fine. Now, heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. This invitation this morning, that's the invitation that has to do with biblical tithing. This invitation for the rest of us here. An invitation to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. An invitation to come this morning to say, I want to give my heart and my life to Jesus and be saved. I want to trust Him. I've been thinking about it. And I've been... I've been praying about it. I've been thinking about it and hearing sermons about it. I want to be saved. I don't know what it means, but I want to be saved. Tell me how it means, what it means. And there are others maybe who want to come this morning to say, I want to join the church. I feel God leading me here. This is where God's people meet and God's word is proclaimed. I want to be a part of it. Or maybe to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ because even though there, you, know, you may be faithful in tithing, maybe it's the fact that you're not living for God is you've, you really want to live for Him. After we've had our prayer, these invitations, there'll be two stanzas of a song. Those will be the stanzas for you to come. I plead with you this morning to say yes to God in every area of your life. Father, I pray that this word has been your word and now that you will bless it and bless the obedience of your people because I pray in Jesus' name. Now in the spirit of prayer, I'll ask you to stand. As Aaron begins to lead our choir and our invitation, we invite you to come. Would you please come? Maybe your coming first would be an encouragement to others. You've been struggling with it. You've been wanting to do it. Come on. Seems like invitations go quicker than sermons, don't they? These invitations are so short. Let me make clear. Maybe you've already been saved. And yet, you want to join the church. And maybe you're not a member of another Baptist church. You come this morning. We'll, we'll, we want to share with you how that membership comes to be. We want you to be here with us. Or maybe you've just not lived right up next to the Lord like it seems that you are living. And you want to make that straight before others. Rededication, we call it. Or there might be someone here this morning who has never accepted Jesus as his personal Savior, her personal Savior. 
No, Jesus died for you, and His Son, the Son of God, came to, to take your place at Calvary, and He wants to come and live in your life in the invisible, immaterial Holy Spirit. Would you let Him come and trust Him? Lee will help you. We'll walk that, through that with you. Come on. Sing the song with us. I know, no, there's somebody who wants to come. Surely, surely you will. Come while we sing.